Hi, I'm Julie Burleson, and this is my wilderness moment. I had always felt like I knew what I was supposed to do for a job. I felt actually really called by the Lord to a specific profession from a very young age. And in my mid-20s, I found myself doing that exact job. It was amazing because that never happens. I was able to do that for a few years, and then all of a sudden, I walked into work one day and walked out without a job. And I was completely blindsided. I had no idea that was gonna happen. And I had so known that that was what I was supposed to do, that being without that job, I felt like I lost my grounding. And more than that, it just felt like everything that was sure in my life was completely gone. Um, everything that I thought that I knew, um, and even how I defined myself was gone. My identity was so wrapped up in my work. And I questioned so much about myself and my relationship with God and like why I wasn't good enough to be used by God anymore. And if I had been called by God to do that, had I messed up somehow? Had he taken that from me? Did he feel like he could do it better without me or something? The term wilderness so perfectly describes it because I just felt like I didn't know which way forward was anymore. And I didn't even know how to look for a different type of job. I, it's all I knew. And it's all I had ever felt like God wanted me to do. I was frustrated and it was in that place for a really long time. And I was praying one day and just expressing all of that. And God so clearly said, I don't need you to do anything for me. You're my kid and I love you. And that changed everything for me. And what was so crazy about God telling me that in that moment was that I would have told anyone that that's how God felt about them, but I didn't believe it for myself. I thought that I had to earn the thing that he had so freely given to others. And it turns out I didn't. But had I not been in the wilderness and had he not met me there, I would not have really known that for myself. And I am still a girl that struggles with striving, but I have this clear memory of God telling me how much he loves me, not for what I do, but for who I am and setting my identity in him and not my work. And that has changed everything for me. So somehow I am really thankful for that wilderness moment. And I know when I'm in the wilderness again, I will have God to hold on to. Many people in our county have experienced Julie's wilderness firsthand when it comes to job loss, especially in the last year. And if that's you, and that's your wilderness space to you, I just want to remind you that God is with you and this is what he promised. My God will supply all of your needs according to the riches, the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. So we've been walking through the book of Exodus. We've been walking with the people of Israel through that liminal space, that in-between transitional space between the bondage of Egypt, where they came from, and yet they're not quite in the promised land yet. So they're stuck in that in-between space. The liminal space is the wilderness transition space between where we are and where we hope to be. And each of us are in that space, 
both spiritually and practically right now. Practically, we've left the space of no toilet paper, but we're not quite back in our favorite restaurant yet. We're back in stores, but we still can't see each other's smiles. So we're stuck in between. Spiritually, we're in that place of of being here and yet longing for that reality of heaven. I was thinking back practically to the moment when uh, last March I'm walking into Costco, as many of us were. I roll into the store and I watch a guy in front of me grab the last pack of Charmin. And as he walked by, he looks at me and says, you should have come earlier. I said, you should learn how to share. He didn't. And I don't think any of us thought we would still be in this same space 11 months later. Here's where we can be grateful. We've been in the liminal space for 11 months. The Israelites were in the liminal space for 40 years. Thank God we're not there yet. If you haven't been with us on the journey so far, let me catch you up in about six minutes. So far in the book of Exodus, God has responded to the cries of his people because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means God hears your cry in your wilderness. God knows your pain. He hears your cry. And he always responds, not always in what we want, but always in the way that's best for us. Secondly, God chooses and empowers a leader. He, he actually calls out Moses and Moses appeals to God's empowerment. It's like, are you sure you want me to lead this? Like, really? I don't talk very well. I'm insecure. And God says, I will be with you and I am greater than any challenge you are facing. Let me say that again. God is greater than any challenge you are facing today. And then God delivers his people from slavery and oppression. God does miracle after miracle and sets his people free. Isn't it interesting that what is a plague to one group of people is a miracle to another? I'll let you chew on that one for the rest of the week. God makes a way out of bondage. He's still doing that kind of work. But we learn that freedom often doesn't come from jumping to, from point A to point B. But instead there's a, a strategic number of steps that God takes us on. If you don't believe that, the next time we offer 12 steps of spiritual journey, you should invest some time in that journey. And then God meets his people in the wilderness. In that liminal transitional space between bondage and freedom, God shows up for his people. He shows up in a burning bush to Moses. He shows up practically for his people by providing food, water, shelter, and connection in the middle of the desert. And then he shows up in his presence. God shows up as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then last week we learned that God anchors his people in truth. We just skimmed the surface of the Ten Commandments. We did a gut check on the top ten and asked God to meet us in the wilderness of our inability to even pull off ten commandments. And he met us there. With grace and hope. So we've touched on, just barely touched on, 20 chapters of the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And now life's going to get really, really interesting. Because over the next number of chapters, God shapes a new community. And here's what we need to remember. At this point in history, the Israelites are nomads. They're a mobile society that moves around. They're not yet in the promised land. And we find them making laps around Mount Sinai. And this is why. It's because they're stubborn, hard-headed, opinionated, rebellious, and skeptical. And before you judge them, has anyone else seen any of those trends in our society in the last 11 months? Anybody else seen some crazy over the last 11 months in other people or in ourselves even? So God's going to lay out a plan for a God-directed community. 
God's going to say, this is how I want this mobile society to operate in the liminal space. What follows is verse after verse, theme after theme of what a God-directed, God-shaped community looks like. Oh, do we need to hear this kind of wisdom right now. So here they are, seven themes. I probably could have come up with 27 themes, but here's seven themes of an Old Testament God-directed community. God starts off by saying, I want my community to be grounded in relationship. God wanted his people to see each other actually as people. God wants our common humanity to supersede rank and status and hierarchy and class. I'm going to remind you again, though, the Hebrew nation, they knew what it felt like to be slaves. They'd experienced it. They understood what it felt like to be held against their will and to be forced into labor. If you read the first 20 chapters, this phrase will be familiar to you. They knew exactly what it felt like to make bricks without straw. In their pursuit of freedom, the Hebrews had a system of indentured servitude. It was actually a monetary way of paying off debt where you could sell yourself to another family to serve. The hard word was slavery in order to pay off debt. But I still want you to listen to God's dream of relationship that was so pure that the unthinkable could actually happen, where relationship could actually win over bondage. Exodus 21, the Bible says, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and don't want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Do not miss the personal nature of those verses. You see, we've all been slaves to sin, but Jesus came to reconnect a relationship between a sinner and a savior. And I don't know about you, but when, when I came to Jesus, I declared, I love my master. I want to be marked by him as a free man for you, maybe as a free woman to serve the one who paid for my debt with his life. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay with the one who saved me. In the book, Scandalous Freedom by Steve Brown, the story is told of how Abraham Lincoln stumbled upon a slave market. In that despicable location of the worst of humanity, he saw a young woman being auctioned off to the highest bidder. Lincoln actually bid on her and won. And he said he could see the anger in the woman's eyes and could imagine what she was thinking. Here's just another white man who's going to buy me, use me, and then discard me. As Lincoln walked off with his property, which is so disgusting to even say, he turned to the woman and said, you're free. She said, what does that mean? Lincoln replied, it means you're free. She said, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, it means you can say whatever you want to say. She asked incredulously, does that mean that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean, the young woman said, that I can go wherever I want to go? Lincoln said, yes, you're free. You can go wherever you want to go. To which she replied with tears streaming down her face. And I think I'll go with you. I cannot be sure 100% if that's a true story about Abraham Lincoln. And I know that our country has struggled and in many cases failed to deliver on those freedoms. 
Well, I am not 100% sure that's a true story about Lincoln. I am absolutely, completely, in the depth of my soul, sure that that is a true story about the heart of Jesus. Paid the price on a cross so I could be set free, and I chose to be free by staying with him. The Bible says this in Romans 6, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap to holiness is the result of eternal life. Freedom begins with a relationship with the one who sets us free from the slavery of sin. Second theme, retribution. And before you do something really strange with that word, God is not saying vengeance is yours. God is not saying you can seek out retribution against those who hurt you. But he did say this in Exodus 21. But if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Most of us think it stops there, but it keeps on going. Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Dr. Dan Lane was one of my favorite Old Testament seminary professors. He just made the Old Testament come alive to me as I love the Old Testament. And I remember him saying this. This is not about lex talionis for the Latin people in the room. This is not quid pro quo. This is not unrestricted retribution. This verse was actually God's plan for taking care of bullies in his community. Think about it. In this community, if you stole something, they broke your hand. If you kick someone when they were down, they broke your leg. If you knock someone's teeth out in a fit of rage, they knocked your teeth out. Why? Because if a bully kept going down that path of behavior, it wasn't very long before the bully didn't look so tough. In this mobile society, as in all societies, God knows people need protection. This ideology is a compensating measure of justice. But before you start taking this wrong and thinking about revenge and retribution, I want to remind you what Jesus said to New Testament believers. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, them, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The love of Jesus acts differently. It begins with not returning evil for evil. The love of Jesus begins by loving someone at the beginning, at the end of the second mile. Jesus did not resist an evil person. He did not return evil for evil. He actually introduced grace into the equation because he shares a different kind of justice. Does this mean you have to be a doormat? Absolutely not. It means you have a higher calling than returning evil for evil. It means you remember God said vengeance was his and he most assuredly will balance the scales. God is love. God is also justice. Here's another theme. It's the theme of recall. Because when a community forgets where they came from, they lose all the lessons they learned along the way. That's why God said this to his people. Exodus 22, 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. What's God's wisdom here? Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you left behind. Don't forget what it felt like to be enslaved. Don't forget the pain of that season, because if you do, you will violate the wisdom of Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, 
do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I remember the me that I was before I met Jesus. Thank God I am not him anymore, but I recall him. I remember the lost, broken, wounded, self-proclaimed victim who used to think everybody owes me something. For the record, the record no one owes me anything because in fact... I owe Jesus everything. How about you? Don't ever forget the you before Jesus, because if you do, you'll lose sight of his amazing grace. I love this verse in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's another theme. In God's community, people are never afraid to make something wrong right through restitution. Listen to some common sense, all right? Exodus 22, 6. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. Makes sense, right? Exodus 22, 14. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it's injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. It's simple. God's people make things right, even when it costs them. I've told this story here several times. When I met Raymond, he was a drug addict. And then Raymond met Jesus, and everything changed. And for years, Raymond used to sing solos for, with our choir, and, and everybody just fell in love with Raymond, because Raymond couldn't just sing, Raymond could sing. And then he came to work here and became our singing custodian. Everywhere Raymond went, he was singing at the top of his lungs. I remember the day I came into the office and Raymond was pacing back and forth in front of my window. He came in shaking and this is what he confessed to me. He said, Grant, when I was a drug addict, I came to church one morning and during a communion service, I stole two purses to fuel my drug habit. I remember my response. I'm like, Raymond, like that's cold, man. Like stealing purses during communion. He's like, I know, I know. But Raymond came because he wanted to make it right. What he didn't know is I actually knew both of the ladies whose purses were stolen. One of them worked here and the other one was married to one of our pastors. So we arranged a meeting. And Raymond came in shaken like a leaf. He asked for forgiveness. He offered to turn himself into the police. He offered to pay restitution for everything that was in their purses. He just wanted to make it right. And here was the craziest thing. They forgave him. And Raymond left the office that day free from both guilt and shame. I remember another young man who worked for us. God was working deeply in his life and he actually came forward to his supervisor and said, I need to make something right. I've been clocking in and then go finding a dark classroom to grab a quick nap. Came forward on his own, admitted his wrong, actually calculated how much he believed he owed the church in the time he stole and offered to pay restitution, knowing justifiably he could have been fired on the spot. But he came forward. We actually accepted his offer of restitution and donated the proceeds to a missions project. Because that just seemed like the right thing to do. 
I have so much respect for people who are willing to pay whatever price they need to simply to do the right thing. Do you need to do that? The last time I preached on this theme, a lady who used to sit in the second row right here, after being off of a job for more than two decades, returned four reams of paper that she'd stolen out of the copier room at her job. 20 years later. You know what? It must have been embarrassing and it must have been hard, but I know this. She walked away free because she was willing to abide by God's standards of restitution. Whatever you need to do, here's what I'll tell you. Fear will keep you from making it right. Fear will keep you locked in that bondage. But when you trust God and do what's right, no matter what it may actually cost you, you will walk away free. You should consider that. Let's keep moving. God also wants his people to accept responsibility. Okay, listen to this and then we're going to unpack it. The Bible says in Exodus, God speaking to his people, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Boy, this will preach on so many levels. I don't care what political side you're on. We're all on Team Jesus in this room, just so we're clear, okay? We've seen firsthand what happens when people follow a crowd that's doing wrong. And I don't care where it is. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. I don't even care if there's people in the crowd carrying a Jesus sign every once in a while. When the result of a crowd's actions is people being afraid for their lives or property being destroyed, it's wrong. I got two amens. I'm going to try that again. When people feel threatened and properties destroyed, it's wrong. Thank you. You know, I find it so interesting that God would say that to a group of nomads who every single day would join a crowd and start following it. I'm sure there were some Hebrews that were like, God, isn't this what we're doing? No, it's not, because you'll notice what it says. Do not follow a crowd in doing wrong. Here's the key. That crowd that the Israelites were in were following the presence of God, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were in the crowd, but the crowd was following the presence of God. This is the holy kind of mob mentality. Their eyes were on the one, not on the many. And let me tell you why God put this in here. It's because he knows what's going to happen in just a couple of chapters. Moses is going to go up on the mountain and someone in the crowd is going to say, you know what? Moses has been gone for a really, really long time. I don't know if he's coming down from that cloud or not. So why don't we do this? I got an idea. We should have a worship service. That's right. But we don't need to worship the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. I know. Hey, what's your favorite farm animal? Do you like cows? Let's do this. Let's have everybody give all the gold that they own. We'll melt it down and we'll create a statue of a farm animal. And then we'll have a worship dance party around it. It's going to be fantastic. And before you know it, everybody in the crowd is worshiping a cow. And we're like, we would never do that. You've been watching the news. We just follow along. Follow along. God presses in deeper. This is what he says next. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Don't show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Basically, just be fair and equal to both parties. 
If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. We have this so upside down in our culture. Here's how it works in God's community. If you don't keep your donkey tied up and your donkey goes out and creates mayhem and destroys stuff, you're responsible because you own the donkey and you should have tied it up. Common sense, right? In our culture, this is how it works. If your donkey gets out, your neighbor better have had the foresight to build a really, really tall wall to keep your donkey from entering his or her property. And if your donkey does get inside of his property and does something, you're able to sue him because you know it's not your responsibility to keep your donkey home. That would be way too easy. No, it's your, it's your neighbor's responsibility to keep your dumb donkey out. I'm like, what? Some of you are thinking you're overstating this. It happened again in the last 60 days. A guy pulls through a McDonald's drive-thru, buys a hot cup of coffee, Instead of putting it in the cup holder, he puts it on the dash, pulls away, spills it on himself, sues the company because it burned him, and he won. What's the answer? God wants his people to take responsibility. Listen again. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, what's our normal response? Like, not my problem. Oh, on top of that... This person that owns this donkey, that's my enemy. I'm actually kind of glad his donkey wiped out. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. That's just human decency. It doesn't matter if you don't like your neighbor or not. You just do the right thing. As you're part of God's community, keep going. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. God is saying take responsibility, go the extra mile. In doing that, you're actually honoring God. Here's another theme. It's the theme of respect. Closely tied to recall. In fact, the verses are going to almost mimic themselves even though they're in two different places. Exodus 23.9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. The opposite of oppress is respect. God calls us to respect the common humanity of us all and the common journey of us all, which means this. Don't look down on someone else's faith journey. God forbid that we would watch the wilderness stories and start comparing pain and judging someone else's journey. It's like, that's, that's your wilderness moment, really? That's all you got? Respect the God who's writing the story and respect the person who's walking that journey. That's the common humanity and decency that God wants for all of us. Last theme. It's renew. I'm going to read just a section of Exodus chapter 23. I want you to listen to God's promise to those who are willing to renew their commitment even though they're walking in the wilderness. Just listen to the scripture. God says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way, to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay attention to him. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. 
My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Verse 25, worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take, take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full life span. Do you know what comes next in the book of Exodus? The people of God come and they make a covenant with God. They say, we're going to obey all of these laws. We're going to do community your way. And in the chapters that follow, here's what we find out. Human beings do not do a very good job of keeping their promises. When was the last time you renewed your covenant with Jesus? You're like, Grant, I'm not even sure how I do that. This is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink and eat of it, you remember me. In the midst of the COVID liminal space, I hope and pray many of us will keep coming back to the communion table time after time after time. In fact, if I could be so bold as to give you homework this week, that would be an amazing thing to walk with Jesus through and into in the wilderness space. So I read this, just seven themes. There could have been 27. And I ask the question, who wouldn't want to live in a community that was built on a foundation of relationship, equal and fair justice, recall, restitution, responsibility, respect, and renewal? I read that, I'm like, sign me up. I would love to be a part of that community. Here's what I know in the wilderness space, and so many people are in this wilderness space. When you don't know God or are not connected to a God-loving community, the wilderness can be vastly lonely and isolated. I mean, it's just so unbelievably alone. And into that, we've seen in Scripture, God promised to show up. Now we're going to press it further because his people can do the same. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about something that's coming next month. We're just at the beginning of February. My hope is to whet your appetite to something that as a biblical community we're going to do together. It's going to take more love and more sacrifice than ever, but I think this project is in really good hands because I want to remind you of something. Last year in the month of March, when COVID all of a sudden made this room go completely empty within seven days, we brought you over $75,000 worth of missions projects, and this community funded every single one of them. It was a miracle, is what it was. You responded in the midst of all kinds of unknowns. This year in March, our church is going to partner together with an amazing group of people who are experts in a specific area, and for the first time ever, Christ the King is going to do everything in its power to break the back of human trafficking. I'd like to ask you a question. How much would you be willing to sacrifice if you knew that your sacrifice was going to free either a young woman or a child from human trafficking? If you could literally save a life, how much would you be able, how much would you consider sacrificing 
to set somebody else free and literally save their life. Our spiritual practice in March, what a coincidence, happens to be sacrificial generosity. And together as a church, we're going to come together. We're going to show up as a biblical community. We're going to help recondition, build, and supplement. We're actually going to create a space. We're going to create a safe home for victims of human trafficking in Belize in Central America, which I did not know is one of the hotspots of human trafficking. And we're going to create a safe place for people to go to have their lives saved, to hear about Jesus, and to be able to live free. It's going to take all of us to do this. But I know this, when God's family shows up, people get saved. So, we look at all of these things together. And I don't know about you, but, but I know there are, there are places where I just have to say, God, can you, can you just reveal to me what I need, what, what I need to know? Like, is there something I need to go back and do? Is there something I need to make right? Have I disrespected someone and I need to go and make amends because I, I did the wrong thing? Drew, earlier in the service, led you through an ancient practice, Lectio Divina, which simply means to sit in Scripture and let God speak to you. So let me read Psalm 139. And I hope and pray that you'll keep in mind all of the seven themes that we've already walked through today. God says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. If being led in the way of everlasting means you need to go back and make amends, then just do the right thing. The enemy will try to tell you the cost will be too great. God will say, no, I will be with you. If the way of everlasting means you need to go back and take responsibility for something that you did wrong and make restitution, the enemy will say, it's going to cost you too much. God will say, I already paid that price. Make it right. If you went with the crowd instead of walking against the crowd and in doing so practice the presence of God, if you need to come back to God and say, God, give me the courage to stand alone and make it right. So I'm going to read this scripture one more time. I'm going to ask you to just sit in it and practice the presence of God and say, Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do that this week and then we'll have a moment of silence and quiet Randy's going to play underneath but let's let God do the talking search me oh God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting
Father God, whatever you're calling us into, biblical community in the liminal transitional space, I pray that we would simply say yes to you. God, if there are amends that need to be made, restitution that needs to be paid, respect that needs to be offered, judgment that needs to be withheld, courage that needs to step up, step in. God, I pray that we would respond. Jesus, we hear you today calling us into a community that I believe can change the world. So God, may we say yes to your themes today. Yes to your wisdom and yes to your common sense. God, may the people of God this week be both salt and light in a world that desperately needs flavor and illumination. So God, we give ourselves to it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.